Girls podcast. My name is Rebecca Meitinger. It is awesome to be here with you today. Today we are in our fourth week of the Do You See This Woman series on women in the Bible. And today we're going to talk about a woman that I have grown to admire and love so much over the last, um, probably like 10 years ago when I first really pondered her story. And I just think she's magnificent. Um, I want to say a word first though. So last week I talked about the woman at the well from John chapter four. And I loved, I loved the podcast, (laughs) honestly, like I was really excited about it. However, I was trying a new um, setting on my microphone last week. I'm still, you know, I'm still really new at this and I'm still trying to tweak the sound. And so last week I finally, I don't like to listen to myself, but last week I finally was like, okay, I should listen to myself in my car over my car stereo and and see how the sound is. And I didn't think it was very good. And so I tried a new setting when I recorded the Woman at the Well podcast last week. And then I went and listened to that one on the car stereo and it was worse. (laughs) But um, I'm hoping that you will give me grace as I figure out the technology of all of this. And so the sound on last week is not good. I'm hoping today is gonna be better. And I hope that you will go ahead and listen to the Woman at the Well podcast anyway. I feel like God had some really wonderful things that he wanted us to ponder and consider in that podcast. And so I hope you'll give me grace and listen to it anyway. (laughs) But I do apologize that you are, if you're listening along with my podcast, that you are following along with a brand new person doing a brand new thing, and I'm just trying to sort things out. (laughs) So thank you for the grace. So today we are going to talk about a woman who, when I say her name, you might not have any idea who she is. Her name is Jochebed, and she is the mother of Moses. So most of us, or lots of us, are familiar with the story of Moses, but we don't know his mom's name because his mom's name is not in the the same text as when baby Moses get saved, which is the text we're going to read today. But her name is not in that area. Her name is found later on in Exodus chapter 6 and in Numbers chapter 26, her name is given to us. But we're going to look at her today along with a couple of other women who are massively significant in this story. Uh, Her sister, or Moses' sister Miriam, is this wonderful eight-year-old girl who is full of chutzpah. So I think it was last week when I introduced you to this word chutzpah. So is Jochebed, full of chutzpah. Um, Chutzpah is a Hebrew word. It's spelled C-H-U-T-Z-P-A-H. And it means extreme boldness, almost to the point of arrogance, but not arrogant. Uh, so boldness, courage, confidence that goes above and beyond what would normally normally be accepted or expected. And uh, so we're going to meet an eight-year-old girl that is full of chutzpah, a mom who is full of chutzpah, and then also some midwives who are full of chutzpah, like so deeply confident in the promises of God that their actions could definitely be seen as arrogant. They are in uh, blatant 
rebellion against the king of Egypt in their actions because of their obedience to God, because of their chutzpah, and risking their lives because of their boldness to follow God. And so there's a number of women here that are just phenomenal, phenomenal in their boldness. And I'm so excited to share this with you today. And one of the other things that's really unique about the account that we're going to read today is it's different than the other ones. So, so far in this series, we have looked at the woman who anoints Jesus' feet, and we've looked at Eve, and we have looked at the woman at the well. In all three of those accounts, we saw the interaction between God and the woman. In the New Testament accounts, it was specifically between Jesus and the two women. And then with Eve, it was God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. In this account, we are not going to see a direct interaction between Jochebed and God. And so I'm going to do a little bit of inference. We're going to read between the lines a little bit. I want to be really, really careful to not add to scripture. That is not my goal at all. But my goal is to really look into like, what did this woman know and how was God communicating to this woman his plans that she so strongly believed in that she would risk not only her son's life and her own life, but also the life of her entire family. How how did she trust God to this degree? And so we're going to do some reading between the lines, and I just want to say up front that I'm not trying to add to scripture at all, but I'm trying to realize that Jochebed is a real woman who has real faith in a real God. All right, so we are actually going to start with Exodus chapter 1. This is going to give us the background we need for why Jochebed is going to do what she does. So Exodus chapter 1. These are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, the descendants of Jacob, numbered 70 in all. Joseph was already in Egypt. So if you're not familiar with why they were moving to Egypt, that's the story of Joseph. Their land of Canaan was in famine. Joseph had stored up grain and provisions for the people in Egypt. His family came to find him. It's a great reunion, very beautiful. And, and then all of the Israelites moved to Egypt because there's food there. That was a very quick summary of a very long story at the end of Genesis. <laughs> okay, so Exodus chapter 1, verse 6. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, took power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and they worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor, 
in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Puah, When you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why did you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous, and they give birth before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all of his people, Every Hebrew boy that is born to you, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. All right, so let's pause here and just think about these two amazing midwives, Shipra and Pua. I love that we're given their names because that just shows us how heroic they are. They are these incredible women. They are Hebrew women who are in charge of delivering Hebrew babies. And Pharaoh tells them, kill all the boys. And they, it says that the reason they don't is because they feared God. So they didn't do what the king of Egypt told them to do. So if we just pause for a moment and consider that the king of Egypt is Pharaoh and he is worshipped as God. So in the Egyptian culture, Pharaoh is worshipped as God. And to worship any other God is reason to be put to death. So these Hebrew women, rather than bowing down to what Pharaoh says, they have learned apparently about the one true God, which is pretty astounding because when Abraham got the promise from God that he would become a great nation, God told Abraham, your people will be slaves for 400 years. So God told Abraham the timeline of how long these people would be enslaved. That means hundreds of years have passed. If you think about 400 years, that is longer than the United States has even been a nation. It's in Genesis 15, verse 13. The Lord says to Abraham, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. All right, so that was to Abraham. 400 years of slavery is what his what he knew his people were going to, to live as. So now let's jump ahead back to these Hebrew midwives. It's They have been enslaved for 400 years. For 400 years, they have been multiplying as a nation, as a people. Estimates that I've heard for like when the people, when the people of Israel finally come out of Egypt is about 2 million people. So they started as 70. Remember, we read that up in Exodus chapter 1, verse 5. They started as 70. And over the next 400 years, they stayed as, they were slaves the whole time. And they multiplied to like 2 million people. And Shipra and Pua, who are midwives, 
apparently still, even after 400 years, know the truth about the God of Israel. So for 400 years, the truth about who God is and how he called Abraham has been passed down. And, you know, I don't know, did a lot of people still believe in the one true God? I'm not sure. Uh, When they get to the desert, God spends 40 years rebuilding his relationship with the people of Israel. So right now, I don't know if a lot of the Israelites understood and knew the one true God because they have been living in the land of Egypt and surrounded by Egyptian gods and worship of Egyptian gods. So I don't I don't know, but these two women, Shipra and Pua, they remained faithful to God. They had been taught about the one true God and they knew we are not going to kill these baby boys. We're not going to take their lives. We fear God and we will not kill what he has given life to. And so then when <laughs> when Pharaoh finds out that they're not killing the baby boys, he asks them why and they just, I don't know, you know, do they make up a lie? Do, do the Hebrew women really give birth that much more quickly? Or is it a true story, but it just works in their convenience? Or do they make up a lie? I don't really know. But God certainly gives them favor because they saved the baby's lives. And also, God protects them. I mean, Pharaoh had every reason to kill them. They did not do what he said to do. And whether or not they come up with excuses, I mean, this is Pharaoh, for goodness sakes. He was ruthless. I mean, we've already, the word ruthless was already used a few times in the text explaining their his treatment of the Israelite people. Like he is a ruthless leader. And yet he was gracious to these midwives, which just shows the protection of the hand of God. Like it does not matter who is against you. If God is for us, who can be against? That is Romans 8.31. These Hebrew women knew that God was for them and they did not fear Pharaoh. They feared the one true God. They did not fear Pharaoh and they knew that God is for them. And then God blessed those women But Pharaoh upped the ante, and it says in chapter 1, verse 22, Pharaoh gave this order to all the people, every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. Now, I just want you to put yourself in the position of a Hebrew woman who is pregnant, and imagine her fear for giving birth and finding out if that baby was a boy. She knew, okay, if this baby is a boy, there are going to be soldiers at my door in days, weeks, I don't know how long, and they are going to rip this child out of my arms and they are going to throw him into the Nile River. The Nile River, which is one of the mightiest rivers on planet Earth, and it is notorious for its Nile crocodiles and they are going to throw my baby into the Nile River to the crocodiles, the raging waters, like the fear of being pregnant and wondering like a 50-50 chance, is this a boy or is this a girl? And just like praying, praying, I would imagine they prayed 
for baby girls because the, the baby girls could live. Okay, chapter two. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman. So this, the man is Amram and the woman is Jochebed. And we learn that later in Exodus and also in the book of Numbers. And she became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it amongst the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Okay, so let's just pause there. So this woman is from the tribe of Levites. And like I said, she was pregnant. And I imagine that during her pregnancy... She must have just like prayed and prayed and prayed that it was a baby girl. Although perhaps not because we're going to find out in a little bit that she was not at all afraid of the king's edict about what to do to baby boys, which is like staggering to me, like mind blowing to me. So if I jump over to the book of Hebrews, uh, oh, I thought I put a bookmark in it but I did not. Okay, so Hebrews chapter 11 is really famous as it's called the Hall of Faith. And in Hebrews chapter 11, the writer of Hebrews just goes through many, many people, primarily from our Old Testament and, or actually entirely from our Old Testament, and just writes about the incredible faith that they had because they were looking forward to a city that is eternal, not from this world. They're looking forward to... um, the new creation that they get to share with us. <laughs> it's really an awesome chapter of scripture. And anyway, uh, Jochebed and Amram are in the hall of faith for this exact story. And so in Hebrews 11, verse 23, it says, By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born, because they saw that he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. I just love this. They hid him for three months because they saw that he was no ordinary child. Different translations say that they saw that he was a beautiful child and they saw that he was a fine child. I really love this NIV rendering, though, that he was no ordinary child. I just don't know. And here's where I'm going to read between the lines a little bit. I wonder how God communicated with Jochebed while she was pregnant and after the birth of Moses. I wonder if she knew in advance that this child is going to save my people. I wonder if she knew. I wonder if God communicated that in advance to her because they saw that he was no ordinary child. So my question is, when when Jochebed and Amram looked at Moses, baby Moses, did they see somebody who was going to save the people of Israel? Did they see that in him? That he was going to set the captives free? He was going to lead the people to freedom? Did they see that in his face? Did they know? Did God tell them that? And is that why they were not afraid of the king's edict? Because all around them, people who lived in the in the Hebrew areas around them in Egypt, uh, they lived in the area of Goshen, 
all the Hebrews kind of lived together, but now, you know, there's like a couple million of them, so it's a huge, huge area that they fill. But all around them, their friends and their neighbors and their family members are getting pregnant. And the whole time they're pregnant, I'm just assuming that they talk constantly about what if it's a boy? What if it's a boy? What are we going to do if it's a boy? And I would imagine there is tremendous fear, tremendous fear. I assume, but on the other hand, Shipra and Pua were not scared of the Pharaoh's edict. And now we learn here that Amram and Jochebed, I mean, it says in Hebrews, they were not afraid of the king's edict. That's amazing. That's chutzpah. That is confidence and boldness almost, almost to the place of arrogance. You don't care what the king says. Like, you're not afraid at all of what the king says. That's crazy. That's crazy. And it's awesome. And it's beautiful. And it's wonderful. Because the reason they're not afraid of what the king says is because God has told them something else. God has told them something above and beyond and more powerful than anything the king could tell them. I believe that deep down in my heart that they had a settled understanding in their soul that God is going to save our baby and God is going to use our baby. God has plans for our baby. And so for three months they hid him. How did they hide him? Babies cry. Babies cry loud. (laughs) How did they hide him? You know, as like, as Egyptian soldiers are like going through the community of the Hebrews, grabbing babies out of houses with like moms and sisters and dads wailing, wailing. Egyptian soldiers ripping those babies out of their arms and hiking them over to the Nile, or if they were close to the Nile, just chucking them in. Amram and Jochebed are around this, in the midst of this, all the time, and yet they're not afraid, but they're hiding a baby. I don't know how they hid the baby, but it says in verse 3, when she couldn't hide him any longer. So had his crying got too loud? Or were the soldiers like really working in their neighborhood at this point? And it had taken a few months for them to really reach their neighborhood as they were taking the babies away? I don't know. But for some reason, when he was about three months old, she couldn't hide him any longer. And she got a papyrus basket for him and she coated it with tar and pitch. Okay, so this basket would have taken quite a while to weave. And here's what I imagine. Again, I'm reading through the lines. uh, But here's what I imagine. I imagine Jochebed sitting in a rocking chair, weaving together papyrus branches, and praying the whole time. I imagine her rocking in her rocking chair, weaving the papyrus, crying and praying and praying and praying that the one true God would override Pharaoh and would save this baby boy. And then she coated it with tar and pitch, which is a very strong 
it's a very strong like glue type material and it's the same stuff that Noah's Ark was coated in. So she made this basket strong. She made it sturdy. It's not like a little woven basket that maybe we saw in flanographs in Sunday school. Like this is a well-made basket that is waterproof and uh, is strong. But still, it's the Nile River. (laughs) And there are crocodiles in the Nile River. So I have to imagine that as she made this basket, she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. I also imagine that she searched the riverbanks and I see her walking along the riverbanks looking for a place where the reeds and the cattails were growing really high and was kind of like a protective area where maybe they were so thick. The reeds and the palm trees, maybe um, cattails were so thick, were growing so thickly that maybe they even like paused the current and and kind of made like a little inlet where the basket would just like rest and sway gently amongst the cattails. I just have to think she must have searched and searched and searched the riverbank for a place that might be safer and possibly even search the riverbank and search the river for a place where a dependable young woman would maybe take a bath as we're going to see in a moment. And I have to imagine that she prayed as she rocked Moses and as she nursed Moses, that she just prayed over her child continually, prayed for God's hand of protection to cover over him, to cover over him. But still, so now she she makes her basket, She's prayed, she's cried, she has sung all of the lullabies. And the time has drawn to the time where she has to take the basket with her baby in it and take it to the Nile and put it in the Nile. So a number of years ago, I was really focusing and considering Jochebed for really the first time. And I... I was just struggling with this. I was like, okay, because in verse 3 it says, Then she placed the child in the basket and put it amongst the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And I was just struggling with that verse so much because I I can see how she made it and how she prayed over it and how she had planned it. And, you know, whatever God had spoken to her in advance about his plans to save her baby. And yet here she is at the Nile River, knowing full well that it's full of Nile crocodiles. And she let go of the basket. She let go. She let go of the basket. How did she let go of the basket? I was just struggling with this. And so I went out to run. I miss running. My knees won't let me run currently. Don't really know why. Arthritis is what I've been told. And um, But running was like so therapeutic for me. And I, I had the best conversations when I ran. And on this particular run, I thought about Jochebed the whole, the whole run. And I remember exactly where I was on the bike path a couple miles from my house when I was just like, I don't know, I don't remember if I was talking out loud to God or if I was, it was in my head, 
But I was just like thinking about Jochebed and I was like, yeah, but God, how did she let go of the basket? How did she let go? How did she put the basket in the water? And you guys, God literally stopped me in my tracks. I, re- I mean, like it was one of the times in my life where I hear him almost audibly. Like it wasn't audible, but it was so close to audible that I don't know how else to describe it. Um, perhaps you've had those experiences. And he stopped me in my tracks. I mean, I stopped running. And he said to me, Rebecca, Rebecca, she didn't put her baby in the Nile River. She put her baby in the hands of the God who holds the Nile River. She didn't put her baby in the Nile River. She put her baby in the hands of the God who holds the Nile River. I mean, you guys, I stopped in my tracks, stopped running. I just stood there. And this part I know was out loud. I went, oh, oh, (laughs) oh, I get it. Oh, she put her baby in the hands of the God who holds the Nile River. Oh, oh. Verse 5. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. And she saw the basket amongst the reeds, and she sent her female slave to go get it. And she opened it, and she saw the baby, and he was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Oh, don't you just love this dear, dear Pharaoh's daughter? This is her dad's rule. Her dad is responsible for killing all of the baby boys during this time, these years. I don't know how long this went on. And here she is taking a bath, seeing the baby, and being like, oh, this is one of the Hebrew babies. And she obviously knew based on how he was wrapped and how the basket was made. She knew, oh, some dear, wonderful mother took great care in placing her baby right here amongst the bulrushes. And now I said earlier that I I think it's even possible that Jochebed not only sought out a safe place in the river or a safer place in the river, but also I just, I just wonder Did she even seek out where this dependable young woman bathes? Did she seek out where Pharaoh's daughter takes her bath? Because it just seems like she did. It just seems like she did. And that's why I wonder, how much did God tell Jochebed? How much did he tell her in advance? I don't know. I just love to think about that. So... Pharaoh's daughter is so gracious about this Hebrew baby, has compassion for the baby. And then verse 7, we see Miriam. Now, I told you earlier that Miriam was going to show us just a ton of chutzpah. Miriam asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Oh my goodness, can you believe this young eight-year-old girl? She thinks on her feet so fast. She is so full of chutzpah. She's like, As soon as she sees Pharaoh's daughter 
um, caring and have com- having compassion on her baby brother, immediately she's like, oh, my mom could nurse baby Moses until he gets too old to nurse anymore. That's an awesome idea. And then she's so bold, you guys. She's a little Hebrew girl, and she goes up and talks to the princess of Egypt, Pharaoh's daughter, and she presents this idea to the princess of Egypt. Should I go get a Hebrew woman for you to nurse the baby? I mean, I mean, so bold, so courageous. Verse 8, the princess, Pharaoh's daughter, says, yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and she got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, to Jochebed, take this baby and nurse him for me and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. Now it is unclear here about who named him, either Pharaoh's daughter, the princess named him, or if Jochebed named him. Guess it doesn't really matter, but here we have this incredible woman who was so bold, so brave, so confident in God's plan to save her baby that she went through the preparations and the prayers and the petitions on her baby's behalf. And then she did the boldest thing, the boldest thing that any of us can do. She put her baby not in the Nile River, but in the hands of the God who holds the Nile River, full of Nile crocodiles and crazy currents. And she left her baby there in the hands of God because he holds the Nile River. He's in charge. And then God rewards her by giving her her baby back. He gave her baby back to her. And she got to spend probably three or four years nursing him. That was probably how old he was when he was weaned, three or four. And she got to spend three or four years with this dear little baby boy, praying over him, playing with him, holding him, nursing him, rocking him, teaching him about the one true God of the Hebrews. Some of you are home with little toddlers. Some of you have little toddler grandchildren. Some of you are more like in my age of life where you have kids that are big and they're no longer little kids and they're no longer preschool age. Some of you don't have children of your own, but you are loving on so many other kids. Those preschool years, Moses is proof to us that they matter. (laughs) They matter. They're exhausting but they matter. Jochebed had three or four years to teach Moses about the one true God. And then he was sent off into the household of Pharaoh, and he was raised in all the ways of Egypt. He had the best education in Egypt, and he was raised to know all of the the Egyptian gods. All of them. He would have had total immersion into the Egyptian culture. And yet, Jochebed had three or four years to pour into him the truth of the Hebrew God. And then she again handed him back over to God. (laughs) He went into Pharaoh's household, but she handed him back over to God, saying, Here you go, God. 
I did what I could do. I did what I could do. I did everything I could do. Will you use it? Will you use it? And did God use it? Oh my! (laughs) Moses saved the people of Israel. Moses saved the people of Israel because Jochebed was faithful. Jochebed wasn't, wasn't afraid of what the king of Egypt said. Jochebed was full of chutzpah. She was full of confidence in who God is and what God can do. And nothing, not even the greatest king on planet earth, the greatest, richest, wealthiest, most powerful king on planet earth at this time was Pharaoh, who told her, throw your baby into the river. She was not afraid of it. She risked the lives of her entire family. Had they been discovered as having hidden a baby, they all would have been killed. The whole family. But she wasn't afraid. She was bold and she was powerful to do what God had called her to do. And I just want to be like her. I want to be like her. I want to look into my kids' faces and see no ordinary child. Because here's the deal. There is no ordinary child. There's no such thing as an ordinary child. God says to Jeremiah, before I created you in the womb, I knew you. I had a plan for you and I set you apart. I set you apart. There is no ordinary child. I want to look in my kids' faces and see men and women who are going to set the captives free. Our world is full of captives, people who are slaves to sin, slaves to self-doubt, slaves to depression, slaves to addiction, slaves to uh, corruption. I want my kids to be people who are going to set the captives free. And I think they are. I mean, no, I know they are. (laughs) Our whole job as believers in Christ is to bring the kingdom of God and set the captives free. My kids are made to set the captives free. And I want to be the kind of mom who looks in their faces and sees that sees that like looks in their faces and says you are you are here to set the captives free go set the captives free i will stand by your side i will act in boldness alongside you i will take steps of confidence alongside you set the captives free whatever god calls you to to set the captives free I'm right there beside you. I believe in you every step of the way. I want to set the captives free along with you. That is why we are here. Jochebed knew that. Jochebed knew that and she lived it. Remember, she let go of the basket. Today, I think God is asking me to let go of the basket. I think he's asking us every day, hey, are you going to let go of the basket today? Because I have big things. I have big things. I have people to set free and I want to use you to do it. Are you going to let go of the basket? And I think one of my responses daily needs to be, Lord, what do you want me to let go of? (laughs) You want to use me today. I'm supposed to let go of something to help make that happen. What do I let go of today? Because I just want to be used by you, God, to bring your kingdom, to set the captives free. Use me, God. Use me, God. Use me, God. Amen and amen.